What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a canvas. Listen as Dr. Allison R. Tendler and her guests paint the stories of entrepreneurs, executives, and business leaders on her podcast, The Art of Seeing Clearly. Through insightful questions and thought-provoking conversation, Allison and her guests explore the essence of what it means to truly experience life, business, entrepreneurship, love, success, and even failure through a clearer lens. everyone, I'm your host, Dr. Allison R. Tendler, board-certified ophthalmologist, surgeon, owner, and CEO of Art Vision and Artisan Skin and Laser Center. I literally get to work every day to help people see better on the 2020 eye chart. But true clarity in life and in business often requires a slightly different kind of vision. I happen to have a passion for learning how other entrepreneurs and leaders find their clarity, and I want to share with you some of their secrets to success. Michelle Lavallee is CEO of Children's Home Society of South Dakota. The organization empowers children, adults, families, and communities to be resilient, safe, healthy, and strong. Children's Home Society is the oldest human services nonprofit organization in the state. Prior to assuming the CEO role at CHS in 2019, Michelle held executive level positions in a variety of industries and roles, including Avera Health, the University of South Dakota, and Raven Industries. She attended Northwestern University in Chicago, where she received both her BS and MBA. Michelle is passionate about workforce development and creating amazing culture for her teams. She recently received the Champion Award from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services for supporting the workforce. Michelle openly loves making bold moves, running towards challenges, and making order out of chaos. Michelle is actively involved in her community. She's currently board president of the South Dakota Hall of Fame, and serves on the Sioux Falls Development Foundation. She is the past president of the South Dakota Symphony, past president of downtown Sioux Falls Rotary, and the past board member of Ronald McDonald House, Washington Pavilion, and the USD Foundation. Michelle, welcome to the art of seeing clearly. So Michelle, what a pleasure to have you here today. You and I have known of each other and met each other several Absolutely. times, but we haven't ever really got to sit and maybe get to visit and know each other as as women, as um, people that hopefully are empowering others, and as you know, leading companies. You are leading much bigger companies. I've got a very small one. Um, yet, you know, what happens in one can help the other. So, Absolutely. I look forward for our listeners today to be able to gain some of your insight, uh, wisdom, and and that empowerment. So, what are you follow? Let's just jump in. Let's and do it. Let's do it. So. You grew up in South Dakota, yes, correct? I did. So I grew up in Huron, oh, okay. the center of the state, right? Yes. Dad ran the sale barn. My mom ran the chuck wagon. One of seven kids. 
I was a cowgirl, sail barn brat. And then I moved when I was 17 uh, and have moved across the country 14 different places and then came back to South Dakota okay. uh, for my 20 year class reunion, I think. And so you've been, you were gone for 20 years. I was. the state. Yeah. And at 17, uh, I know you started off at USD. I did. And then you went to Colorado, I believe. Yeah. And you must have like, who, somebody must have seen something in you like right off the bat that you kind of just automatically got in this trajectory. Tell me about that. It's so funny you say that. You know what I had is the belief that I could do anything. I'm not sure where I got it. Probably from learning to back up a horse trailer when you're six years old, when you have, you know, this great dad who tells you, take over the wheel, daughter, or get on this horse. But I honestly was blessed with just the belief that I could do anything. And that carries you a long way, coupled with hard work and a high energy level. I'm not you. There's nothing without hard work. There's nothing without hard work, even if you've got the belief that you can do it. If you don't have both, you you definitely will not achieve. Were you somebody who had to work hard to get to that place, or did everything kind of come easy to you? You know, um, academically, I did work hard. I okay. did have to work hard. I was the only one out of seven kids that went to college and then did a master's degree, mm-hmm. but I really, really valued education. Um, a lot of other things did come easily for me. I mean, my first big job was in Colorado, and, and I don't know. And big job at age 23 or something like that. I got was to younger be- than that, and then you became the, it's like one of the lead people at age 23. You know what? I also had a gift for marketing. So I actually got funneled in the right direction with a good mentor. So it was Colorado National Bank and they were going through deregulation. They had these banks all over the place. And it was the first time that bankers had to be kind of business development outward facing before they were the behind the desk. Everybody comes to us. And I had an opportunity. They wanted me to teach them to walk into a business and ask for their banking business. And I don't know. I had a natural ability to connect with people. And so I was really, yeah, 24 years old, I was the youngest bank officer, I think, at Colorado National Bank. Did you start right out right out of the bat, like at age 18 after your year at USD? Was that- well, then, yeah, I went back to school. I ended up in Chicago okay. and finished okay. my degree at Northwestern. Uh, when, when was that in your journey? So that was, oh boy, a lot of moves later because I'd married uh, Paul and then we moved to New Jersey and he was the CEO of a healthcare company. And, you know, he's older than I am and much more established in his career. So I also had a time, you know, you have your early career and then that middle part when you have kids. And, you know, I was fortunate. I got to stay home for a period of time and be with my little one and, you know, my husband was a successful businessman already. Mm-hmm. So we moved from New Jersey to to Philadelphia, and he was the CEO of another company there, and then the same in Chicago. But by then, I decided to stop and go back to school and get my and undergraduate degree. When you, after you left South Dakota, went to Colorado, became like this, you know, executive at a bank, you didn't have a formal education then to I bring you to that, to that part. And it, and it was funny, it, it like it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. And I think it matters a lot more now, you know? But I had the right skills that I needed at the time, right? What did they see yeah. back I think, then? I really do think it was that natural ability to, it's kind of the fearlessness, yes. is not being afraid. I see that in your whole histories. I've been learning about you, that you are... You like you gravitate toward challenges. You don't back away from them, and you really have no idea where that came from, except for pulling a stock cattle, you know, thing at age six. Yeah, I honestly think my dad and mom gave us this gift of just believing that you could do anything. You know, 
in in not the traditional sense of school, but I mean, my parents didn't care if I went to college or not go to college. I mean, it wasn't important, but what they wanted you to do was to be able to be independent. I mean, honestly, we all got to drive when we were really young. We kind of got so, to do everything. For listeners, if you did grow up in the country or on a farm, yes, most people do get to drive very young, especially when you their parents or their grandparents wanted this. Oh, I know. When I moved to the East Coast, people would say, really, you drove when you were six? And I go, yeah. Dad was throwing bales of hay out the back and you just do it, right? Just, Are you a country girl too? I, you get that. When too? I was very young, until I was 10, I grew up in the country and I know my sister, she was always bigger than I was. And so she was driving when she was probably seven or eight. Grandma and grandpa would let her drive the truck. Yeah. I guess it makes you feel like you are invincible and that you can do anything. But I really have built a career on going into industries that are going through big change. And I didn't even know I was doing that. Like banking was going through this big change where they had to change how they approached the market. And then, you know, I did a, a wonderful experience. Um, I loved being at USD. I When I came back to South Dakota, I worked Is, at Northwestern Energy. Okay, so and, did Northwestern Energy. Yeah, and then, you know, they went through some bankruptcy challenges. And my husband stayed in Chicago. He was running a, a medical device company at the time. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, now I'm, I came back here to work for Northwestern. Now, what am I going to do? And then I met Jim Abbott and mm. he said, hey, we're just launching this whole new brand. And would you come and do it? And I thought, never thought about going to a university, but it was a blast. And he was so much fun to work for. And so I was just going to do the marketing. But within five months, he gave me every department except academics and athletics. So I had, you know, the student services and to rebrand, to strategize and change. Well, for rebranding and then to look at the whole student centered culture. So, so I had, you know, the admissions function, the, which you know aligned really well with the marketing side. Did marketing end up being kind of your your base? It, it did. It okay. absolutely. So did. marketing and strategic and uh, goes into strategy because okay. so much of marketing you have to understand the strategy in order to communicate. I think about. I might need to hire you as a as a mentor. I, I hear you do some mentorship. Oh, I've done that a lot. I don't know if you need it. I look like you're way far ahead of the Oh, amen. I'm always up for a good mentor, Michelle. But truthfully, the strategy is so important. I mean, for me, the first thing I do now is you have to get your strategic plan down. And that has to be well communicated throughout the organization. Everybody has to be blown in the same direction. I had to do a lot of that at USD. I was blessed to also do the global sales and marketing for Raven. And so they were... Huge strategy, and they loved it. Major strategy. Yeah, it's it's strategy. It's, I mean, I loved marketing, but I think you evolve into a strategy side, and that is it is the roadmap. And I am doing that at Children's Home right now in a big way, uh, really focusing on who do we want to be. We clarified our mission, and it's to treat and to it's to prevent, treat, and heal trauma. And so we have all these eleven programs, and what do they all have in common? We're all dealing with. With prevent just this, this uh, really the concept of trauma, mm-hmm. and we want to be part of a world that stands up to trauma, so all people can be resilient. So the vision part is also the vision mm-hmm. part for you is yeah. there's there's literal and there's figurative about is about that vision. Clear? That's what I love about yours yeah. is that art. Yeah, it's the art of seeing clearly, right? Yes. And I, oh, I would love to dig into your strategy. <laughs> well, see, we need to slaughter after the podcast. We'll have to we'll have to do that. Exactly. I would love to. Your vision could be fabulous. Oh. I'm sure it is. <laughs> so do you feel like moving all those times within your journey early on um, set you up for, you know, I always feel our journey is what it's supposed to be. But do you feel that it helped set you up for success 
for where you needed to be when you needed to be? I think so because it's a, it's a lot to move. It's a lot. It's a lot to move. And they were mostly corporate moves. And mostly at the very beginning were for my husband. Early on, it was for mine. And then, mm-hmm. you know, because he was the main breadwinner, um, you did have to get in and set up the home and get your kids in school, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that that made me feel, I mean, I moved so often that once I got here, I... The last move was from Chicago. And I, you know, I love that whole experience in my life, but I never, I don't know if I expected to be here now. I mean, I moved back now in uh, early 2000s. Okay. And now this has been the longest place I've been, you know, but I, I love it here. Where's been your favorite place to live? Other than South Dakota, than South what would you say? I, I loved Philadelphia. I just did. Why? What was it about? I loved Philadelphia. And I think it was the time of our life too, you know. Time and place. I'm just starting in kindergarten. And the house we had was beautiful. And I loved being in Philadelphia. It was close enough to Washington, close enough to, to New York City. And it was just the hub. But it was the time of our life mm-hmm. when everything's in front of you, mm-hmm. you know, and all those dreams are there, right? So yeah. when I look back on that, I think about it. And uh, my, house, my son went to um, Chestnut Hill Academy, and it was this old traditional school. Um, and it was just, I always felt like I didn't have enough traditions. So this like really grounded me in a tradition, K through 12, of these wonderful boys. And the teachers were there because they wanted, they knew what they were getting into with these little boys, right? It was this old school Philadelphia. And it was like, I didn't grow up that way. So I learned. And have you made any traditions now? Do you have traditions that you guys do? What's a tradition that you have? Dinner together. Um, I go, I have a farm in here, so my husband's there usually, and I go there and I insist that all the generations get together. So my mom is still alive at 94 and she's a blast. And she dyes her hair red and spikes it. She's cool. Well, she lives like on her, her own. She's I already, awesome. I already like her. She wears makeup every day. She puts makeup on first thing in the morning. And so I have her, and then does she have her skincare regimen? She looks so much younger. <laughs> my son Chris is a special ed teacher in Huron, and his wife's an art teacher. And then we have two grandkids. So, so do you travel back and forth every weekend? Every week, yes, because my husband prefers to be on the farm rather in than in Sioux Falls. So tell me a little bit about the relationship with you and your husband. It's funny that you asked about that. I mean, he was always a healthcare guy. He ran a big health system based out of New Orleans, kind of like an Avera or Sanford where they had multiple. He has an interesting life himself. You should interview him sometime. But you know what? He is my mentor. I have to say that my husband, Paul, has been, I have so much confidence. I always say he doesn't just run a company. He could run a country. So he's a huge thinker and a self-made guy. And um, he has truly, truly been, you know, when you talk about your husband as your mentor and your best friend, in this case, it is absolutely true. And the fact that he was older than me Mm -hmm. gave me a competitive advantage because he was my advisor and continues to be my advisor because he's been in so many different circumstances. Mm -hmm. It's like, what do you think about this? Yeah. Or like, if you're going to have a board meeting, he always tells you, you always have the board meeting before the board meeting. So you... If there's controversial issues, you kind of thought those things through before and you kind of know where people stand. So he was a great strategist too, but he's um, he's a healthcare guy and he's run not only just the big hospitals, but then ran a whole bunch of venture capital startup companies. So, so it's almost like you have two um, uh, combined forms of education to help build a better 
pole for no matter which either side you are here going to be That's moving forward. A nice way to say that. Thank you. That is a good way to say it. So in no. Philadelphia, you felt that, hey, your whole life was in front of you. Yeah. You've been with CHS now since 2019. Yes. Correct. Right so right there. That's when I opened. So right was pandemic. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So right before the pandemic as well. What were some of the changes that you immediately saw that you needed to change and how have you achieved that with CHS? Oh, jeez, that's a good one. You know, the first thing I always do is get a Oh, why did they like, we need her? Yeah, you know, I think that they were at a point uh, where they really wanted to understand a little bit more about what we did and what we were offering. And I think I offer, because and also I was on a lot of different boards as well. <laughs> so I think they liked the fact that I had the understanding because we have a one board that's 27 people, one that's 17. And sort of bunches big of boards. big boards and wonderful. And they're all about philanthropy and helping us tell our story, right? Mm-hmm. The, I, the very first thing I always do is go in and figure out, I always, it's the first step of strategy and that's to do a major survey of all your key constituencies. So all of our employees, all of our board members, community members, that all of our partners, like the Department of Social Services and Health and Human Services, and mm-hmm. to get a sense of, you know, what do you think about children's home? And we did that in spades. And that was, my gosh, we did that. I started uh, October 1 was my first, and we were doing that in December. And really understanding, I mean, for my employees, we have 350 employees now, but, you know, I had a stack like 110 pages of people just really pouring their heart out to talk about what they, my questions were, what do you love? What should we never change? And what must we change right away? So what was what was the theme that came out that led to some change for you guys? I'll tell you right away, people needed more leadership training. And so they said in so many places you get you're great at your job, so you get promoted to be a leader. You have no idea. And maybe you're a great therapist or a social worker, but then you're leading a whole group. And it's it's not just children's home. I mean, I saw it in healthcare. I think you probably I'm shaking my head. Yes. You, this person's been around a long time. They have the seniority. They have this, but who, who do you feel that anybody just? Hey, I'm just a great leader. You're not born that way. Do you like you? I don't think so either. But I think you can learn to be. That was the number one takeaway for me. Is we have to put in a culture of leadership. So we have a pillar um, that's really uh, the people pillar. It's a cult. Build a culture of leadership. So. My board was so great to believe in me so quickly. They let me do Children's Home Society University, CHSU. And so we just, in fact, next week we're going for graduation. We did a three-year intensive deep dive in custom-made curriculum for leaders for us. And they hired a company that just was wonderful in um, North Dakota. And they came in and delivered custom curriculum for Children's Home Society. And the months that they weren't there, we would do um, cohorts. So now we're going to graduate with 67 of us that have gone through this experience and it makes all the difference. I mean, our turnover went from 70% turnover. So so within four years, mm-hmm. not even four years, really. Yeah, three and a half. Three like, and a half. Yeah. Three and a half years, you dramatically reduced. changed turnover. Oh my gosh. I mean, 70%. I mean, that's you know, in the time when most of us have seen just increased turnover. Oh my gosh, it's so true. But it was a journey to go from 70% to 23%. I mean, our kids were staying with us longer than our staff. And that horrified mm-hmm. me because the kids were working with need that consistency. Any of the consistency. And Amen. it's the staff that makes the difference. And not just for one year, like for several years in a row, because they're going to be within 
Right now it's 20. You're going to need some of those resources. And so our kids are, I think our kids are happier. Our employee engagement numbers, I think we have like a, I don't know, we did okay on a scale of one to five. I really believe in testing uh, twice a year. How are we doing? So we have a 16th uh, question survey that we do with our employees. And it turns out one of the key questions to employee satisfaction, employee engagement is your willingness to refer your friends and family to work there. That is, I mean, across the, the world, that has been the one question that's predictive of employee engagement and happiness. Engagement in your culture. So now we had, um, we had like a three, six on a five point scale. And I said, that's pretty mediocre guys. And so now we've done it. This is our seventh time. And now we're above the four, the 4.0 mm -hmm. mark. You have to get four or higher on a scale mm -hmm. of uh, one to five. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, it's just like all, the other thing we did is we started to pay student loans. Um, I interviewed 300 of the employees before we had our own lockdown at COVID and really sat with them to understand what are your pain points. And so many of our employees are young mm -hmm. and the student loan is really killing people. Mm -hmm. And I said, if we could pay part of your tuition or your student loan directly to your student loan company, would you stick with us? The 94 that started, are still there, six hundred bucks a year, and huge difference to that. I mean, we pay tuition too, but most people seem to be attracted to that playing their mm -hmm. student loan debt down. You only have to work there thirty days and no way wow. back. Wow! And for as long as it takes to get rid of your student loans. Then I said, well, "That's impressive." Actually, I love that program. But you know, I don't know what wow. the biggest pain points are yes. for your employees. I mean, you probably have it too to help. What is it that either makes you want to leave your job or what do you think about on the way to work? They have these things called staying interviews rather than exit interviews. And you talk about in like in the first 30 days, not just how is it going, but things like, do you have somebody that you really feel comfortable with at work? And really one of the questions is, what do you think about on the way? And what makes you happy? You know, I love those things. I think, I think we could do so much more for our own employees when they work for you, don't you? I I love that. Is this something that was new or was this something that you had been integrated with or learned about before you got to this current role that you're in as CEO? You know, honestly, I really got it from the employees to really understand. Huh. And I thought- so This isn't something like, hey, I've been learning this along the way. This is, we're, we're trying something. We're going to try so many new things with this because I mean, honestly, that kind of turnover was really, really hurting the organization, really hurting. And and the truth of it is, I also have to tell you that we had a tremendous donation. I mean, we have been 130 years and um, T. Denny Sanford has given, I mean, the last he gave us, he asked us, um, Bill Colson, who was before me, he asked him on the golf course, your husband was there. That would be golf course <laughs> thing, your house. And he said, he asked, what are your two biggest things that I could help you solve? What a gift. Mm -hmm. The two biggest problems I could help you solve. And one was we're desperate need for a new shelter, the domestic violence shelter mm -hmm. that we built, like, you know, because mm -hmm. I mean, they were so crowded. And the second was got to get a handle on this workforce issue. So for people that don't get to receive <laughs> a generous donation. What do you do, right? You know, what are, um, uh, you know, what are some things that you've seen su been successful maybe in the past at ensuring uh, culture, staff engagement, and retention? Oh, I, I, 
gosh, you know what? We have a whole team now that's focused on that. I think you're so you were just, able to have a team that's now just focused on that. I heard a great guy, Mark Niemeyer, um, mm-hmm. used to be with Eli Lilly um, and Dialaco, you know, the, mm-hmm. the pharma. And he came in with a whole depth of knowledge as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, and I mean, we brought in a, a whole team of new executives that came from, nobody really came from social services, came from Good Sam, okay. came out healthcare, and they sort of brought the best of what they learned and we sort of infused it into social services mm. infused all this mm. the kind of the big wow thing that we were all lucky enough to get at other companies and and brought it all together but i do have to say you got to really have it has to be that leadership group that people will follow so i mean we have this big dirt dirt let me talk about this yeah. leadership yeah item. i'm going to take a sure down the leadership trail for a moment with all the businesses and the companies that you've been a part of I'm going to start with the leadership qualities you feel have been least effective that you've seen. I'm going to start there because usually we talk about most effective. But I'm like, know, what are some of the least effective things that you might have seen? Like, this was a real this, bad, this was a bad thing. You know what? I do think it comes back to the top leader. And, you know, you hear about the servant leadership, the opposite of that, where they get angry. They don't control their emotions in front of people. And there's a humiliation factor. People mm-hmm. don't like to. Mm-hmm. be put on the spot. I mean, I've had, unfortunately, a couple of experiences in my career where I had, you know, reported to the CEOs where they were way more top down rather than, um, I mean, I treat people like almost always like they're my peer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I do think that the opposite of servant leadership, when they cannot see beyond themselves, they're not able to put themselves into the other person's shoes that's the kind of leader that doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. And that's when I probably left jobs um, because it's about respect. You know, yeah. it's all about respect. Yeah. And we learned that on the farm, right? Yes. You know, better than I am. We're kind of on a coat. We're equal. That's the, that's what I've always um, strived to do is to make people feel like there doesn't have to be this hierarchical relationship. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What has been um, a leadership quality that you then have witnessed that you're like, this person is somebody I want to emulate? Oh, my gosh. That empathy and compassion is what I love. I was just telling the story the other day. We're on the elevator leaving late, and there was this old guy that got on, and he was sad. When my boss said, hey, how are you doing tonight, sir? I'm the CEO. He said, well, I'm not doing too great. My wife is passing away. And I watched him get off the elevator and sit down for an hour and talk to this old cowboy about everything and about what, just about life and what it was like there. And I mean, that always stuck with me, always stuck with me is Hmm. you're tired, you're trying to get out of there at eight o'clock at night, but the compassion that you show for other people. And, And for me to witness that, I've tried to remember that in my life to stop and treat people the way we want to be treated. Just that humanness mm-hmm. and that authenticity. That's the other thing that I really want. You know, when they're not authentic, right? Yes. You feel it in yes. your bones. So you, you sense, you sense all of that, it, that intuition. You just sense it. It's true. It's the compassion and authenticity. Who among us doesn't want that in our, as a leader? How do you, with all of these things, you said you've got a lot of energy, 
you are like, go, go, go. You're, you're CEO of an amazing organization with a whole bunch of employees and you've got events all over. I mean, you've got things going, going, going. How do you take care of yourself? Yeah. You what know. does that look like for Michelle? Oh God. You know what? I, I, people have told me that I am a little bit of, uh, I'm going to say the word extremist, but I'm doing this amazing exercise program and it is, you know, I like to say it's CrossFit, but it's CrossFit. I like extreme exercises. I've, I've been doing boot camp for the last couple of years. Now, do you go or do you think I that? Go. Okay. I go. Okay. Have to go? I have to go. Okay. And now I actually started out with a, a personal trainer and they just, you have to go through the experience. And it's, it's never easy. It's hard. And so I've been doing the one-on-one training and now I just brought my <laughs> one CFO and my CEO, who all, you know, you know how we always complain that we're not exercising enough. And I said, okay, that is it. And so last week they started coming with me. When do you go? Are you, we go at six at night. So at six at night. Which I would probably rather go in the morning, but it works. But it works. It works. And you know, the next day it's kind of fun team building too, because we're together at work, but we're all feeling the pain of trying to get fit together. You know, we're trying yeah. to get fit. And I, you know, in between, I do do a lot of walking, not running anymore. Yeah. But I love sports. I mean, I, I would prefer to play baseball or play tennis rather than watch it. So what's I'm all with it shit. What's your next like yeah. extreme thing that you can't wait to do? Like this is on my list. Oh my god. things. So there's a lot of place in Costa Rica. You did? Right before. Oh, right before. Oh my god. So we I mean. got to go for like a year. Okay. And then we redid it. It's on the ocean. It's fabulous. But you want to talk about extreme. I mean, this is this is, you know, people do zip lining and surfing. Yes. And my whole family's coming uh the first um two weeks of July, my immediate family. So my husband and grandkids and daughter and son. And we, you go to the rainforest, you go to the forest, but- We're in Costa Rica, is it? It's Paco, it's J-A-C-O. Okay. Have you been, you guys? I've been to Costa Rica. Have you? It's more of the Tamarindo area, yeah, yeah, those areas. That's so. absolutely fabulous. So we live um, right on the water and then right to the right is the is really the, the rainforest. So what's and been your most extreme sport that you've ever- Surfed. You surfed. Did you surf there? Yeah, sure. How was that for you? It's very hard. <laughs> I just wanted to do it <laughs> once so I could say I did it and get that picture. Amen. Amen. I know that the guy that's... that was my surf instructor, I met him on the beach and I was a little late getting there for the lesson. <laughs> He's laying there sleeping on the beach and he has empty Corona bottles on either side. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Server instructor. Yes. Oh, and he goes to the water with you. And it turns out the bigger the bore, the easier it is. And I mean, you have to be able to go from lying flat to a crouch. Immediately. While you're on water balancing. <laughs> so we are going to do the zip lining over the tops of the tree. And, you know, there's monkeys all over the place. And uh, the, the birds, I mean, it's just like a fabulous place. Congratulations. I can't wait. I've been sitting here. So is your husband as uh, adventuresome as you are? He was. He okay. was he's retired now, but I mean, okay. he's done, you know, all these marathons. He's a yeah. marathoner. He's actually the one that taught me to be more extreme. So if you're going to ski, you do the double black diamond. If you're going to kayak, you do the top four rivers. Of course, now he's had his knees replaced because I was a person at time. You're on. You sort of rubbed off on me. There's a little bit of a well. You do, I feel, have to 
start like what is important to me this is still important to me this isn't as important to me how can i still do this maybe do it a little differently and make sure that you're keeping your body safe too let's, you know, let's be real for you young yeah. people out there you don't know what we're talking you don't about really but, care, right you know and, I, and i start thinking about am i going to break a wrist am i going to how am i going to no, do really those true. types of things and I mean, by our son's 44 my husband talks to him about it you know we think of him as super super young but you get really hurt <laughs> oh one thing um, that you again love doing is is strategy. So why is why do you love strategy? Why is it so important to you? And why do you feel like when you're planning to help a team, like this is where we start? You know what? I think it's because that is really the that's where you find the answers. You know, really start out. You have mm-hmm. to do a really honest assessment, and it goes back to what we learned in business school. You have to know what your strengths are. You got to know your weaknesses, and you got to know your opportunities and threats. The classic SWOT analysis. Yeah. And people think it's so old school. But if you play them out and you talk about how do I shore up my weaknesses? How do I take advantage of my opportunities? But if you have like, like we have 11 different programs, you're going to do that for each one because they all have different customers and different drivers. and They all have different, different brands. They, have, they, yeah. they, they almost have different brands, such as my two lines of my business here. They're they're under one roof, but they're or one entity, but they're different brands in, in a way you have to treat them differently absolutely because it's the it's the it's the skin and the eyes yeah. right wouldn't yeah. you have to have totally different you have approaches. different ways you have to have very different approaches so that's interesting that in your business you also like many different entities have to have different approaches for each it's, it's absolutely true wow. and that's why i think everything starts with strategy and strategy also you always have to talk to the customer and your internal customer so i think sometimes people think they know what their customers are thinking but you you might know 60% of it, but I am such a fan. I've always been a fan of that market research and asking the question. I mean, you got to touch them. So with your, I want to say with your clients, um, those people that are outside of the organization, how often are you doing a a question or a, well, an analysis? I mean, like, it's funny. We just did it. So even though our kiddos, I mean, our age is four to 14, um, we are required by joint commission. We're joint commission accredited, just like any hospital. Okay. And you're required. And so I was reading the results today. You asked the kids, what do you like about children's home? Do you feel safe here? You talk about the food, you talk about beds, you talk about um, restraints, you talk about the good and the bad. And I mean, we use that data. We definitely, although the kids said they wanted unlimited bananas today and a lot more macaroni and cheese. I mean, we always just laugh. But we talked to the we talked to all the parents, and we always talked to um, the agencies that referred or the schools that referred, right? And then so each segment, so we have adoption. They have a whole different group of people in foster care. Those are some. I mean, those are big entities within this organization under the master brand yes. and the shelter. We we yes. always ran a woman or a man. Now we have group for men now in our shelter, ninety six bed shelter, and. We ask them, every one of them will do a survey when they leave. Mm-hmm. And one of the key questions is, um, one of the things that we rank ourselves on is, are you leaving to go to a safe place? Which is pretty important because mm-hmm. you, that's why we have case managers that help them mm-hmm. and figure out where are you gonna go now? What kind of, and first, a lot of times you need a job before you can get an apartment, mm-hmm. right? And so we try mm-hmm. a lot of that, but we always ask overall, how satisfied were you here? And did you feel safe? So, I mean, oh, I bet you yeah. we do hundreds and hundreds of surveys throughout the year and twice a year with our, um, twice a year with the employee base. This is really important. 
And then at our annual meeting with our board, there's always a, a survey on that generic. I find that really intriguing. I don't hear enough about that in any of the books that I read or, you know, whether it's marketing, leadership, whatever business book I'm trying to read, I don't hear a lot about that. So I think that's a really interesting point that I also don't feel any of our other um, podcast guests have ever really talked about that. And so I think that's a really important tool for people to be aware of. Maybe old fashioned, but it doesn't mean out of date. Yeah, maybe. You know, it's like early in my life, I just, that's really intuitive for marketers to always want to tap the voice of your customer. You know, so for you to, and you know, there's, you would do it after they had a service, right? I'm sure in this business, there's a lot of that as well, right? We, we do a lot of review, you know, we're mm -hmm. talking about, please leave us a review. How did we do today? Well, those types wonderful. of things. That's so. wonderful. I'm seeing a lot of people now, service providers where they, as soon as you leave, they send you a link uh, as a text mm -hmm. and you do a customer satisfaction survey so you can get some instant feedback. Mm -hmm. And then if you can get that into the loop to start to change it right away, sometimes change takes a long, a too long also to happen. I'm always one that wants to push it faster. Do you feel in some of the large organizations you've been in that you've been uh, hindered by the lack of momentum for change? Or have you been typically in positions where I've been supported to make change and make it quick? You know what? I I have been lucky, but I think that that's why I've been hired at most places. To I make can. change and make it quick. It's true. Because it, that's the good and the bad of somebody like me is that what you like to do is come in, figure it out, peel back that onion, do your research, do the plan, and then level set everything. Put the systems in place that aligns with the strategy. I am really good at doing that. What I don't like is holding the course. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I've been lucky that I've been attracted to industries where there is great change going on that needs that. Like in an energy company, there was deregulation also happening there and they had to talk about, they used to, they didn't say customers, they called them meters. Because now we're reading meters and then they had to go through this whole experience of how do we become a lot more customer focused in case you had choice? Do you know what I mean? And so they- Why do you care if you don't have choice? It doesn't matter, I'm your only choice, so. But I think- I don't have to woo you. I mean, being the CEO, of course, is wonderful. But before, in any of my roles, whether it's head of strategy or innovation or marketing, you got to have that CEO that's got your back. They got to have What is back. it about being CEO that surprised you? Um, I think the first couple of days when you realized, oh, I don't have to really check with anybody. This is my call. I mean, so that's it scared, scary. It right? scared me for a second. And then it also made me go, oh, wow, this is great. This is great. But I mean, having a 27 person board, I mean, it is also like having 27 bosses. Yes. Um, and they've, we've been yes. so lucky for 130 years to have the kind of people that are attracted to a mission like ours. You know, they have that compassion and it always starts with the mission. So, but I mean, it's a blast. It's a, I love, love, love my job. And I have to say, I love being a CEO. And I really think there needs to be more female CEOs. I mean, Jenny Schwann and I used to talk about this 12 years ago. People would always say, well, we're, we're the women leaders. We said, hey, how about if you promote them in your own company? Then there'll be a lot more. And provide, like you said before, maybe provide some of that leadership training to get those people to be like, I can do this. I'm good at confidence. this. Have the confidence to actually say and raise their hand. You're a natural hand raiser. You're a natural. You're a natural hand raiser. 
and you you gravitate towards that. But I'm going to bet a lot of women don't naturally gravitate towards that. And it's not that they're not able. It's maybe they haven't had the support or the, the, the kind of that that push to do it. I think you need a little both. You need a little moxie and you need a, you need a, you need a little support from even, even, you know, for myself. And I'm sure you have too. It's yeah. like you still like that support. You've got the support of your lords. That's right. You've, you've got the support of, of your mentors that you've had in the past. You still have that support, which I still think is important. You've got the maxing, but you still you have need to that have support. that support. I mean, MB, what they've done here with their women's member, uh, leadership and mentorship, I've done, I think, six or seven uh, mentor programs with them. And I have loved watching the career trajectories. They've always matched me with somebody that was really wanting to break out and just needed that extra push to get forward and to get on to the next thing. They've all been promoted in great spots. And I wish there was, I, mean, I now am really happy with what I see in Sioux Falls in terms of there's a lot more people like you that are running their own companies. A lot more women are raising their hands. And I think that, I think the community is allowing that and helping that rather than hindering. I, especially the next, the whole next generation, I am so encouraged by what I see in the pipeline for leaders because there's there's sea change going on here really there is and you have also i mean michelle have laid some of that groundwork for that to happen with the things that you have achieved so that's amazing i know you've had several awards and oh, yeah. recognitions recently and south dakota hall of fame uh, um those types of things just just truly amazing. So thank you for what you have done for our community mm-hmm. to help bolster people like me and those behind me coming up. It's confidence, that, don't you think? Nice. Con- confidence boosting and, you know, but you know, men have always had the structure in place. I mean, they always say, what do you, what should we do, especially in a corporate world? I always say, you got to learn to play golf. You can always go golfing with the guys, but you got to be good at it, right? Women don't take five hours and leave their jobs and go. They just don't. Yeah. So you have to find what's like, well, do well, we the do business, this? business deals are done on the golf course. That's the other, that's the other term you always heard. And it's like, you know, truly you guys do a lot of that stuff on the golf course. It is really And I don't really want to golf. It takes so long. We spent five hours at the spa and I'm not going to sit and talk all that time. I am. It's so true. I said, okay, if we could do a hundred sit-ups on each one and carry our clubs. I did that once on the golf course and they didn't think it was that. Should I move on? Turns out you're not really supposed to lay down on the green. <laughs> And do so. Whose rule is that? That's a man's rule, right? I don't, I don't, their women don't take the time to do things like that. They really yeah. don't. You know why? You're still thinking of what's in the fridge. How much milk do you have? I bet you know how much milk you have at home. Right? I do. You kind of always I do. You kind of always run out total. But I don't think. And I'm like, okay, it doesn't expire for another couple of days. But, but you do. I mean, you know, unfortunately, the studies still show that yeah. you still do most of the work at home, no matter how good your husband is. It's all that recent studies still show that it's a lot better than what it was, but you still have a job when you get home. And that's why I really think that women don't, it's not their natural behavior. It's not a natural tendency to want to lean that way. Yeah. And to go out and do something for five hours that doesn't impact your family. It does help in business though. I and mean, I really, truly, truly have watched it. And I do think that the women that do do that are given a, a, a level of access, both to the leadership in a company, as well as to some of your biggest customers. Mm. Honestly, when you're at a corporate mm-hmm. level, 
Mm-hmm. And the new changed. people that you meet, and then you spend all those uh, those hours with them, and then you share contacts. It's the network. It's the network. Well, how, how do women network? I mean, you're right. I'd right prefer to do the spa. But don't do you think that there's not as many? There's really not a an opportunity like that. Right. Like that. There are opportunities, but you have to create those. One of the things that I've done trying to look at other women leaders, even such as yourself, and say, I want to get to know that person and reaching out, but also having that like put it out there. Would you like to you know, get so together? Glad, I'm so glad you did. And you said yeah. such a nice note. I mean, <laughs> seriously, yeah. there there is something about that. And I when somebody reaches out to me. I always take them up on it because I know what they're doing and it's still part of mentoring and it's still part of what else could we do together and idea generation, you know? Yeah. And the reverse mentoring too with a lot of these younger folks I've had. Believe me, they taught me a thing or two oh. as well. Like everybody's still laughing at me to print my notes or and if the replies. I mean, everything's printed out. I don't look at the thing like online. Like if you want me to do it, you better print it out. Amen, girl. High five. I know. Everybody at work's like, oh, Michelle, that's so old school. But if it's really important to me, you're going to put it on my desk and it's all printed and I can write on it. Yes. Yes. So in your career as a leader within your organizations, what's been an aha moment for you? Oh, gosh, that's a Like, this was a big, this was a big aha learning moment for me. Yeah, let me think. When do I have these aha moments? (laughs) Well, actually, you know, I probably have a... I'm probably having one now, actually, with AHA. Uh-huh. Right here, as we said. No, no, no. Okay. No, it's like. Should I go get somebody? In my current job, actually. I mean, yeah. sometimes you have to stop and go, you know what? Right now is some of the harder things that I've had to do. You know, a lot of the stuff that I came in, I mean, I moved you like, had a challenge. passion about, right? Like, I'm going to get that done. And, and you had to get the turnover uh-huh. and you had to get the shelter open. And there was just a lot of energy around it. And now we're moving into a time for that aha moment is when you're really, I think I have to dig in just a little bit deeper to some other things like, you know, like board governance and how should your committees be structured? And I feel like I'm learning more mm-hmm. than I've learned for a long time. And I, mm-hmm. truthfully, I had probably a better aha moment was when the gentleman that created the curriculum for us for leadership, you know, how you take the desk you take all those assessments. There are many good ones. Yes. Well, he has something called Trigmetrics, and it combines four different sciences. And I learned a lot about myself in really, I mean, it's like a 40-page report, and he would debrief it. And I did it with my whole team. And then it showed what motivated us. And it showed, besides that I'm a super high D and a super high I for, you know, kind of, I think it's a domineering, not at all, an I for influencer. What I realize is when you graph it with your core team, it's really helpful to see how we behave and what motivates our behavior. And I've really taken that as a science. In fact, I printed it at the bottom of every one of my executive team agendas when we meet on Mondays to keep it in mind. I mean, like how you want to be communicated with and what's the best way to communicate with you versus me. Um, that was a, that was a, that was a surprise to me. The S and the C's, which is steadiness and compliance. Steadiness and compliance, I score low. <laughs> so, but my CFO and my head of compliance, they score really high on those things. So I think the aha was that team dynamic. Mm. And those things don't lie. Mm. I mean, you read you these are things, just 
and you read it and you go, oh my God, that's really, that's really who I am. I think those things are fascinating. They help us, you know, see ourselves differently. And it's like, almost like validate, like, okay, how I think is not wrong. It's just how I think. Yet, how am I going to work with my other people on my staff? And how am I going to work with, and it's okay when we start a project to not have all six genius levels. I'm good at two. So if you make me do number six, I'm going to be miserable. Isn't that and I'm not going to get it done. Yet somebody else might be beautiful at this. So there's there's some tools that I think are good at helping us see ourselves, but also as a team member, where are our gifts on this team to complete this project? See, that's the just best way to see that. Looking at it differently, they are their aha moments. That that was an aha moment, and just the way you described it to think about each other's gifts and talents, and and it, you know what, you don't have to control everything. What it's a team? You don't. <laughs> What? What, that, I, what are you talking about? <laughs> so before we end, what um, what techniques do you try to use to keep yourself, um, as I would say, seeing clearly? How do you see the world better? How do you help yourself see better? Mm-hmm. What are the things that you do? You know, for me, I really do. I, I wish I could say that I do meditation and things like that. I don't do it either. So. I wish I, I wish did. I, I wish you did. You know, for me, it really is being with family and it really is getting back to those core values and figuring out what is it that truly makes you happy. What is your core value? What would you say? Well, says, you know, it's funny. Tenacity is a core tenacity value. Tenacity is. And kindness. And we, were, we were talking about tenacity yeah. earlier. So that's interesting. Tenacity, kindness. Kindness, absolutely. And I, I mean, I really, truly believe in that. And I think um, tenacity is a good thing, not the negative kind of tenacity, but just tenacity meaning that you can do it. You can do it. And it's the belief that you can do it and that you're going to keep going no matter what happens. That that helps me see clearly. <laughs> um, I love that. Well, I, I think we can end there. So thank you for you being with us, some of your insight on your journey, leadership, um, business growth, employee development, how you make some big changes within an amazing uh, and complex organization. And thank you for spending some time with me today. And may I cheer you to the word tenacity, my dear Miss Down. We are going to sing. Thank <laughs> you for inviting me. It was so fun to get to know you better, too. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.